Canine Detection Collaborative, a detection dog training trio with Stacey Barnett. Hi. Robin Grubel. Hey there. And Crystal Wing. What's up? With humor and a big dose of theory, our trio talks practical training advice and features interviews with top trainers and scientists. It's Canine Detection Collaborative! Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Canine Detection Collaborative podcast. This is Robin Grubel, and I'm here with Crystal Wing. Howdy. And Stacey Barnett. Hey, how's it going? Good. And we have been having this ongoing conversation in the background about motivators or what is commonly referred to as drive, you know, what motivates your dog to do the things that it does? And then how do we harness that to actually get it to do the things that we want it to do instead of doing the things that it wants to do, like chase a rabbit? So with the the three puppies, it's been really interesting to start thinking about, you know, Bristol is highly prey motivated. She wants to chase stuff. She also, I have figured out, wants to grab it. And then she wants to do the whole kill it thing. So we have to stop doing bumper work until I get a calm hold on her. Because otherwise she gets to practice that wrong behavior. Bristol's much more socially inclined. And it was really interesting, like last summer, when Crystal and I trained a whole lot together Um, She was helping me do some things with Nico and I had never thought about breaking down what he even liked to do so far. Cause, Oh, you know, he's a Dutch shepherd. He likes to play tug. Right. And he likes to possess stuff and squish it in his mouth and that sort of thing. And she's like, no, Robin, he really likes the strike. I'm like, what? And so I, I would really like to have the conversation about, using motivators in really cool, interesting ways with our dogs. Like, you know, Stacey, you've got fishy, fishy. Yeah. Yeah. I have fishy, fishy. I, and I also do a lot of things that also make the activity intrinsically motivating. So what do you mean by that? Well, cause I kind of think about it in two ways, right? So when we're thinking about trying to get the dog really engaged, cause I, I kind of go back to the whole, it's not just motivation, it's engagement, right? And I want the dog engaged because if I have the dog really into what they're doing, getting them jazzed about it and getting them motivated for our common goal is actually pretty easy. So a lot of what I try to do is try to both take the outcome, like the the motivation, like, you know, the reward, right? To be really extra special. But I also like to try to fashion the work itself if I can to be especially interesting. And I find that if I can make that really interesting, I can make that fun, I can make it engaging. Then the when I add the motivator on the back end, the two pieces kind of come together and it works really, really well. So I do a little bit of that. Do a little bit of that. Like you know, using their bodies, like that kind of thing, you know. So you mean like you make things athletic for them? Yeah. Okay. So then that's making the activity pleasing for them. Right, 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 right. Because, I mean, if I kind of think about, you know, how do you make your taxes motivating? (laughs) Right? You you can do that. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I think the only way to make your taxes motivating is to know that you're going to get a refund. But... Um, but no, seriously. <laughs> and when you don't get a refund, it's really demotivating. <laughs> it's extraordinarily demotivating. <laughs> when you owe money. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I know, I know that one, but, but seriously, like, <laughs> think about it. Like there are some things that are just going to be motivating for you. Like for me, you know, training my dogs, I think same with you guys, right? Training your dogs is motivating because it's fun. So when you go out and you train your dogs, you enjoy it and you're rewarded by you know, really good outcomes that increases your motivation for the next time. I call it positively addicted. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. That's, that's where I am with all of my training. And that's where I hope my dogs get as well Is just positively addicted to doing that thing because they love it so much. Yeah. 
I mean, kind of like what I, I did a little thing today. I call it my ultimate sourcing game. And basically it was going to be kind of warm outside. I didn't really have time to go anywhere. So I just took my crate room, which has just like, I have a bunch of like blue nine climbs and Kato boards and stuff. And I just kind of created like this little course for them. And um, my dogs like to use their bodies. So what was really interesting is when I set a hide and I make them really work to get to it and they have to climb and they use their bodies and there's a whole lot of proprioception there. Um, I see an increase in engagement and it becomes really easy. Then when I reward them, they want their turn again. And what was really interesting, I watched uh, my little mini Aussie. So here, here I am. Okay. Here I am with three field labs bred for like female level, like search and rescue work, right? They're bred for it. And then I have this little 11 year old miniature American shepherd who has like epilepsy. He is, you know, environmentally unsound. (laughs) He's timid. He's, you know, and, and I have to tell you, he out searched the girls like you wouldn't believe today. He got up there and he's like, I can climb all over this stuff. And then he goes and he finds a hide. It was absolutely amazing. And uh, it it doesn't help me going into my next summit trial, but I was really, really, you know, in terms of like, oh my gosh, my little, you know, little guy just outsourced, you know, bravo. And, and, you know, that's interesting because sometimes I think about, and, and this is one of the things that I, as, as we're talking through this, I think about, we have the tendency to set out hides that, you know, they don't sit for very long or there's not a whole lot of search time or all of these other things. Mm -hmm. And they start becoming motivational problems because there's not really a whole lot of difficulty involved for the dog in solving that particular problem. Right. Sometimes having that, that quick reinforcement is really, really motivating. Right. Um, the other thing that if you think about like flow theory, right. And I kind of refer to kind of flow theory when I'm trying to set up some of this stuff, because that's the whole theory where I'm going to totally botch this, by the way, we need somebody to look up this in the literature Flow theory. Okay. Right. Flow theory, where you're really trying to maximize the challenge level compared to kind of the, well, this is more for humans, right. But it's, it's your kind of like your skill set, right? So you're kind of trying to meet your, um, you know, what your skill set is versus the challenge level that, you know, that you're trying to do. It's kind of like the, the idea of when you have something really meaty that you're working on and you're kind of, you know, you're, you're really getting into this project and all of a sudden it's past lunchtime and you forgot to eat. Oh, right. Oh, okay. So it's plus. Yeah. So I, I've totally like botched the whole explanation of it, but you want the quick Wikipedia to throw in there. Yeah, that was sure. in positive psychology, a flow state, also known colloquially as being in the zone, is the mental state in which a person performing some activity is fully immersed in a feeling of energized focus, full involvement and enjoyment in the process of the activity. Go ahead. Yes. That's <laughs> bingo. Thank you yes, so much. That. Thank right? you, Wikipedia. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So um, so I try to do that. So I kind of think about when I'm setting something, if I can set something challenging, but I know the dog can do it. Um, I've noticed that I end up getting more engagement. And when I get that more engagement, I see in the very next search more motivation. So it's kind of like I'm trying to borrow, right? I like I build that engagement in the first search. And then I end up getting more motivation in the second search. It's kind of like, they're like, yeah, that was really cool. Let's do that again. You know? Right. Um, and you can't do that too much. Otherwise you just wear the dog out. But, you know, like I'm just looking at, you know, with, with why there he was. And the, the way I set it up, by the way, there, there was like all kinds of thermal influence because I had two lamps in there. I had a window. I had all this like areas where like trapping odor is getting caught up underneath things he's climbing up and over it. He's like, yeah, you know, I can find it. No big deal. Right. You know, it's it's just pretty cool to see. It's just pretty cool to see. So I kind of, I try to do that for motivation, but then I also, you know, increase the fact, the fact that he just, you know, he wants to work for a hot dog. So, you know, when we add the hot dog on the back end and I do this on the front end, it really makes a big difference. Right. And, and, you know, that's one of those things that I would agree. I see out of 
especially like Nico, I think about Nico and, you know, we can do all of this wilderness work and the wilderness work allows him to run and do all of the other things. And then I put him on a rubble pile and he now has to think about where every single foot goes. And it adds that layer of difficulty agility wise. And it's like, when he gets done, he's like, Oh yeah, that rocked. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Cause it was really physically hard and it was mentally hard. Yeah. And, you know, I actually even saw this in Ray, her wilderness work. So Ray is my retired FEMA dog. And she also did a little bit of narcotics work as I was learning how to do that. Right. I don't normally recommend people do that, but she gave me an opportunity to learn a whole bunch. And before she decided she didn't want to do anything six feet away from me, she loved the wilderness work was never her thing, but she loved the disaster work because as an English shepherd who needed that extra brain work, it's like, oh my gosh, the labs are like, dude, let me add and subtract. I'm good. (laughs) And then Nico's like, now I want to do a little bit of calculus and, and raise like, nope, differential equations, please. Yeah. Um, Partial differential equations. Thank you yeah, very much. Uh, you know, yes. that's, that, yeah, that would be great. Yeah. And so I'm like, oh, okay, fine. But that's what she found motivating. And I think yeah. I, I sucked some of the fun out of her by not making problems difficult, but that's yeah. exhausting for you as a trainer. <laughs> It is, but you know, I think, I think part of it is with a dog. So I've just, I've, I've thought a lot about this because I do a lot of, a lot of things. It's, it's a little bit more of like inspired by, you know, rubble type, you know, rubble dogs and everything. Obviously my dogs aren't doing anything like that, but the idea of climbing and using their bodies. Yes. I think it's engaging because they're physically having to think about their proprioception. They're physically thinking about their bodies. And so they're, they're using their physicality and they're using their brains and they're using their noses. And I think it becomes this full body experience for them that I think they really enjoy. I actually, I set this one hide. I remember this. I have this video and it is so cool. I was at a local park. And they have this underpass, right? And it's kind of like this, like uh, this broken up cobblestone that goes up the sides of the underpass. This is just in our state park. It's totally a safe area, right? And I went up and I placed a hide. I climbed up, like I crawled up the side of it, right? And I stuck a hide like in the crack in the cobblestone. And to see that little mini Aussie of mine, like going up and down the side of this cobblestone, trying to source out this hide. And this is back when he was even like more timid than he is now. He's doing great now. And it was just like, he was like, I found it on a cliff, mom. I found it on a cliff. He was so excited. And just seeing that type of motivation, I've just, and I've seen this with a lot of dogs, like just getting that extra engagement that you may not necessarily get. And so it's just kind of like this little thing that I kind of do. And, um, And I think we might underlook sometimes how that setting of a hide in a certain location to help put all of those things together and then do it as a single hide. Yeah. Right. Right. So it's not a series of hides. It's a single hide that is very well thought out and put in a single place. And that's one of the things that I'm trying to be much more conscious about of one and done. Yep. But let's make it a really interesting problem. Yeah. Cause you can increase the difficulty of that one hide, but if you increase the difficulty and you have two of them, right now you've made something really, really challenging, probably at the point where you're just like, you know, forget it. Right. Right. Then it's too much. Then right. it's too much. You know, I'm all in on the, on the single head search. Yeah. And then, and then you think about what do you follow it up with? Cause you know, everybody's like, Oh my gosh, reward the dog, reward the dog. And can I share a pet peeve? Yes. Okay. Do I do it? I don't know. And I try really hard (laughs) to not say anything to people (laughs) because it's, it's so common. We're not rewarding the dog. Okay. We're reinforcing the behavior that the dog just did. Right. You just fully threw out your geek flag. 
I did. Like, <laughs> way out there. Raise that flag high. Oh. I did. It's there. That really so. is a pet peeve if somebody says reward your dog. Um, it is. Oh I my. Have, oh I, no, it, I say it. I know. <laughs> I can't wait. I'll be saying it all summer now. <laughs> I know. I'm always <laughs> messing up. I'm using one word this day, the next word in the next paragraph, because I have to be honest with you. I'm not always totally up on the verbiage, right? Like, okay. So what okay. happens is, is that I, then I decide I'm like, I know I don't know the answer. So what I end up doing is I throw out 50% of one word, 50% of the other word. And I figure it'll just come out in the wash. It's called ADHD. <laughs> it's a creative mind. I'll be, I'll be right half the time, right? It and it and I think the reason it bothers me the most is because people then get really sloppy about what behavior they're actually reinforcing. They're like, "Oh, I just you know Good just point. throw the toy at the dog, right? Yeah. Or throw the Good food point. at the dog." But if we really start, and so this comes from the human end of the leash, right? Because that's what yes. I want to teach and coach is thinking about, no, if you are going to define the behavior that you want to reinforce, then that's the behavior you reinforce. You just don't reward the dog. thousand percent agree. Right. A thousand percent agree. Yeah. I just haven't thought about it in that way. Now I'm like, okay, now I know which word to use. Well, and you know, but how do you <laughs> yell at somebody reinforce? really fast. Reinforce that behavior. <laughs> I mean, it's like, dude, pay the dog. Pay it, pay it. Yeah. Pay it. Yeah. You know, well, in stealing that from Craig Schultz, right? Cause he's got this whole pay that dog stuff. If you ever get a chance, go see some of Craig Schultz's stuff. Um, Cause it's fabulous. We'll put links in the show notes for um, his, his company that you can keep an eye out on it, but he's got a seminar called pay that dog. And okay. it's all about your timing and that sort of thing as a trainer and highly suggest people go take it. I'll let Craig get away with it. He can get away with doing pretty much whatever he wants when it comes to that sort of stuff. So I won't pick on him. But if he, I look at you at some point and ask you, what behavior are you reinforcing? And you get deer in the headlights. Sorry. No, Cause yeah. I want to know because when we should know that before we even start training. You know, th this goes me, get, gets me down another left turn, you know, in my brain, um, okay. <laughs> right? Because we're all about that. I think when we're doing this, either it's a sport activity, vocation, you know, whatever you want to call it, right? It depends on the situation. When we're teaching our dog how to search, actually, we don't actually teach the dog how to search. But when, we're, when we're training the dog in this scenario, I think it's really easy to forget that this is just dog training. And we start thinking of it as this mystical process and, you know, and it's just kind of like, well, you know, ultimately the dog will just tell us and then we, we, you know, play with the dog or we give the oh, dog. You mean it's right? not like this super cool little black box that actually happens in the little black boxes that you no, put out. It's actually, there's like behavior chains and stuff, <laughs> you know, it's like, oh, it's just like, it's just like dog training. It's amazing. Behavior chains or behavior change? Chains, chains, chains. <laughs> yes, yeah. both. Oh, behavior change. Yeah, you have that too. The change of, that's more of a change of. Now, I will say, um, I've been asked that a lot recently. So would you want to, um, I know it goes off our topic a little bit. I've been getting asked oh, I it, when though. I talk about behavior chains, what yep. that really means. Could you just kind of say it just briefly? So you're saying a chain of behavior. Yeah, because like if I say back chain something, I get kind of, ah, what is that? It's too sciencey, too techy, or I get behavior chain and they're like, whoa, what, what's a chain? Like what? So could oh, you just kind of. I have one that's totally like not <laughs> so related to anything. So flare. Okay. My little yellow Labrador retriever. I had to teach because of the master trainer program I was in um, on verbal cue to come and heal on the right or left side. So on healing on the left, I can say she's sitting and facing me and I say, Flair, you know, come to the left side. And she runs over and she flips around into this beautiful square sit and sits next to my leg and looks up at me and is like, I love you, mom. And I'm like, yay. I do the same thing on the right side. She flings herself into the right heel and then promptly pops over on her hip into okay. a sloppy sit. So you've reinforced that. 
I have reinforced the sloppy sit. She added that into her chain of behavior. So if you think about, you know, like teaching a dog to heal on the right or the left, there's this whole, you know, okay, they have to run towards you. Then they have to pivot and then they have to sit and then they have to look at you. That's a whole chain. And Uh I added in the sloppy sit on the right side. So now I have to fix it. It's it's unintended. There's these unintended little pieces into your behavior chain. And if you don't pay attention to that, you don't know, and you can easily reinforce that by having the wrong timing or just being (sighs) unaware. Maybe your timing is correct and you're just unaware of that crap. Well, and I was all excited because I was actually working on this with a hold So I was more worried about her flipping into the right side with the bumper in her mouth and holding onto the bumper Mm -hmm. and not letting go. And all I did is ask her to out like two or three times when she did the floppy, sloppy sit and I flung the bumper and she's like, oh, so now we do sloppy sits on the right side. So you want to hear another really funny behavior chain that is totally unintentional? Yes, please. Totally unrelated to any kind of like really anything. Prize, my 20-month-old, has what I refer to as a pathological food drive. Pathological. Okay. And um, so she she knows. So this is when you have a routine and you're taking care of five dogs, you, you end up with a routine, right? So she's learned that there's routine is, and, and just be out of um, ease, I usually take them out to go to the bathroom and I let them poop before I feed them. So that that pooping has now become a pre-cue to being fed. That's a pre-mac. It's incredible, right? So so when I take her out and she poops, she runs right to the door. She's launching herself at the door like, I'm hungry, I'm hungry, I'm hungry. And all of a sudden, but the funny thing is now, no matter where she is and whether or not she just ate, if she poops, she goes crazy wanting to eat. It's amazing. So it's these types of things where you have to watch out what you reinforce, right? So after she pooped, I allowed her to go in and have her dinner. So now this whole, this whole discussion is completely degraded, but (laughs) so so now I can feed her, take her out to go to the bathroom. And then she wants to be fed again. Right. Because that's, that's the chain. It's, it's really, really interesting when you start thinking about it scientifically. I'm like, Wow, would you look at that? And now she she is actually the incredible, she's she's um incredible at these behavior chains. So you she will actually predict things four or five things out based on what you're doing. So yeah, it's just it, it comes down to you have to watch out what you re, what what you reinforce. My dad just calls that making room. <laughs> <laughs> no, we've really degraded. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, and you know, it's interesting because one of um, some of some of the comments that I get when I go out and teach um, at some of the law enforcement conferences is that they're like, "Oh my God, my dog hears our call sign and starts to spin and get wound up in the car because they are putting <laughs> together all of the things that have happened in the chain." And yeah. they're like, "How do we fix that?" And I'm like, "Oh." That's a long process. <laughs> a long process. It's a really long process. I mean, literally yeah. to decouple this whole behavior about her getting food, I'm like incorporating platforms and I'm doing all kinds of stuff just to help her settle. Right. So it's, it's, right. it's really pretty incredible. So, and, and I think getting back to kind of the motivation aspect of it, all of this I is say, actually, I asked a quick question about what a chain was. So maybe I should ask a quick wow. question about what motivation is. <laughs> nuts. We went nuts. But but if you think about it, though, the more motivation you have, you take that behavior chain that you may have unintentionally reinforced, right. and it grinds it down into something that's really hard to change. Yes. Well, and it's interesting. So actually, the positive side of that is you can use an activity, aka yep. like detection work or... Yep you know, something else as a reinforcer for something else. And, you know, this is one of the things that I started as we were going through the Scandinavian Working Dog Institute stuff, they were talking and had us train what they call a transport, which is actually a heel. 
And with the whole concept that your dog should be under control as you transport them to go do detection dog work, as you go to all of these other places. And I started having this whole like brain cramp because you know, I've been told, no, you can't put obedience on a dog because you're going to squash its drive. Right. And I was like, well, if you do it wrong, yeah. But there goes my whole excuse, Robin. I'm sorry. And I started, (laughs) you're like, like, thanks. Sorry. But so detection work and hunting is reinforcing to your dogs because you've built that. So use that as a reinforcer for walking under control. Yeah. Because I also realized that I'm not getting any younger and having a 85 pound dog pull me down a hill or across the lawn or whatever to go to a rubble pile is not really good for my knees or my ankles. Yeah. Yeah. And so then it comes down to what do the humans find reinforcing about working on something as boring as healing? Guilty. Yeah. Oh no. So guilty. Guilty. Which is, and I'm the nerd over here, like having so much fun with obedience. Cause that's, like, oh my gosh, we get to heal. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Can we please do the obedience part? Cause it's so much fun. <laughs> but that's the motivation piece right back again. Yeah. So I'm just going to ask another little quick question, like the chain one. <laughs> uh, so do me a quick favor and define motivation for me so I can kind of run with this because it's in my brain and I, I'm curious what y'all think motivation is. <laughs> Daisy grunted. Oh, oh, oh. Uh, that's, a, that's a brain cramp right there. Well, it, um, uh, mm. Mm. Mo- motivators. Well, okay. You, you go first. Here, here is my non-scientific, but somewhat familiar with the literature interpretation. We talk about them in the industry as drives. That's what we talk about them in, but it's actually looking at the behaviors behind it on what motivates the dog. So like, Bristol is highly motivated to chase stuff. She wants to chase birds flying around out in the sky in the middle of the pasture. She just wants to chase them. She finds that incredibly motivated. We in the industry call that she has a really high prey drive because everybody knows what that looks like. If I say, well, she's really motivated to chase stuff. They're like, well, yeah, she's got prey drive. So it's the intrinsic things that the animal finds pleasing. Dude, I have an incredible chocolate ice cream I find incredibly motivating. So when I think about a motivator, that's what I think about. Okay. So, and and then then I think we can break out motivating versus motivation, right? Because it's really two kind of different things, right? So what is motivating for the dog is currently what they what they find intrinsically reinforcing. Then, but when I think about motivation, right, that is when we start thinking about how, you know, it's it's more the quality of is the dog engaged? Is the dog, you know, having fun? Does the dog think that whatever you're doing is really worth it? Right, all of those things starting to come together, and then it's kind of the the level of that. So you can either have low motivation or you can have high motivation. So if they're not engaged, if they don't think it's very much fun, and if you're just paying them with kibble, you're not going to have a lot of motivation. So I kind of think of it that way. So when you start to kind of put those pieces together, that's kind of the motivation part of it, and then you're going to have kind of the intrinsic drives of the dog, right? In terms of what they will naturally enjoy, and what what are their natural desires, right? And if you can understand that, then you can kind of feed that into the motivation equation. It's really quite complicated. It really is. This is it, it's not as easy as people think. Just give the dog a hot dog. Like it really is not. Oh, just throw the dog a ball. It'll be fine. Right. 
Right. Here's a fun fact. My master's paper was actually all about intrinsic motivation in the classroom. (laughs) So it's always been a topic that I've been very passionate about. And uh, if anyone says to do their master's paper on that, tell them no, because it's giant and they should never do that to themselves. (laughs) 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 I was just so passionate about it that they were like, okay, go ahead. And it's like 80 pages later. (laughs) It was ridiculous. Um, but you wow. talked about intrinsic, so intrinsic versus extrinsic. And I was completely going on, you know, how can we intrinsically motivate our students? And I'm a high school art teacher. And so um, there tends to be a wide array of students that come in my class. It's not all kids that just want to do art. <laughs> Although they think the counselors and such, well, she does glitter and crayons, send them there. <laughs> <laughs> so I think that experience has also helped me with my dog training. And I think about it even more with dog training. I use dopamine like a clicker. And so you can kind of hack the system because you know that dopamine is marking that good behavior and it's going to make them seek out that behavior again. And so that's a lot of how I try to play on intrinsic motivation. So when you hack that system, you're getting that dopamine hit. You see when that happens and then you know there's going to be a drop after that. And so you have to be smart about how you're playing with those kind of brain chemistry, chemical things. There you go, Robin. <laughs> I'm joining that nerd flag with you. Yes. <laughs> so you're talking about the rate, of, the rate of reinforcement there. Is that kind of what you're talking about? No, I'm talking more about the, the intensity of the um, pleasure that they have from that thing that they just did. So when okay. you get that dopamine pump, because... Um, yeah. With Joe Rosie and the School of Canine Science, we really got into the whole dopamine thing and the neurotransmitters and blah, blah, blah. And it's really um, helped me think about when I see the dog have that boof, like that is amazing. I know that I've tapped into that and I've hacked that system and I'm not going to go much longer. Um, I might end with some play at that point and be done and let some latent learning kick in. Because that dog is now going to seek out that behavior again because it felt so good. Gotcha. Um, I have a, a human example of this. Um, this might have happened yesterday to me. Uh, I've been <laughs> not having a lot of bread because I've been trying to get fit. And it's hard to do that when you are addicted to carbs. I'm a carbivore. And so we bought Hawaiian sweet rolls um, for Ooh. our trial that we had this last week. And we had a big IGP trial here. And the the Hawaiian sweet rolls made their way home here. And that's Mm -hmm. a terrible thing. Um, I ate one and guess what I felt? Boof, that dopamine hit. Oh, that sweet roll was so good. You guys gloriously (laughs) happy. And I'll tell you what, after the 16th sweet roll, because that's all there is in a package, I did not feel (laughs) gloriously happy anymore. (laughs) It feels different. It feels not so good anymore. And so that's what I have to think about in my dog training. (sighs) If they get that first hit and they're like, yes, but then I do that same hit 15 more times. Guess what? I've just depleted that. It's not going to be as powerful the next time. So that's that's how I think about that increasing that intrinsic motivation for my animal. You know, next time I train, I'm going to be thinking about Hawaiian sweet rolls. Amen on oh, that and one. See, now you're getting a little boast of, of dopamine there. <laughs> well, well, no, just just the fact that you know we we always talk about less is more. Yeah. Like so, here I am, right? I'm preparing for kind of a, a big competition coming up soon. And when you're feeling the pressure of something coming up, it's really hard to do less is more because you're like, but I only have two weeks, right? I just need one more rep. Just one more. I can fix that thing. Just one more rep. One more (laughs) search, you know? Right. Don't train until it's ugly. Yeah. Yeah. But keep it, it's, keep it fresh, you know, it's yeah. like leaving that, that bag of rolls. So, out so next stale. time, <laughs> next time I'm training, I'm going to be like 16 what? Hawaiian sweet rolls. We don't want to <laughs> do that. Let's stop at eight. <laughs> Actually, what was the point? I want to know. Okay. This is scientific. So out of the 16, right. Uh-huh. I need to know when I can stop my training. So do I stop at four? Do I stop at eight? Do I stop at 12? Am I safe until 14? Oh, so I love this question because I a hundred percent thought of this. No, for me, it was three. I ate the first one and it was like, oh, I've missed you sweet rolls. I've missed you so much. (laughs) And then 
I grabbed two and three together as a little combo sweet roll. And then I ate those and I was like, that was so good. And then all of a sudden, I don't remember four through 16. They just happened and they didn't feel near as good as the solo and the double. I can't tell you four through 16. I just know they're in my belly and they're hurting me today. Right. (laughs) And I'm not strong enough. Like I can't give up chocolate. You know, I I can't give up pop completely. And so you have to set up boundaries. And I think this is the same for our dog. That was pop with a P, right? We just want to clarify that because sometimes that doesn't come out over the microphone. That was pop. You did not say pot. (laughs) <laughs> oh, 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 oh. I was like, yeah, pop with the P. What top? top pop? <laughs> you mean soda. Yeah, soda. Sorry, soda. There you go. Soda. <laughs> I'm coke. from Kansas City, y'all. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, that is really interest that's really interesting because, you know, if we think about that, we'll send them back in, send them back in, send yeah. them back in. And, you know, and we have, I work with people who are like, well, show me, show me, show me. And after about the fifth show me, I want to knife the student, <laughs> unfortunately. Yes. Um, and the dog is looking at them like, I'm not a circus pony. <laughs> and so, and we've, we've had one too many sweet rolls at that point. Well, and you know how I annoyed you. I think I did it to you. I was like, what's two plus two? Four. Okay. What's two plus two? Uh, I mean, you keep asking that same question and it annoys you. Yes. And now some people, they'll answer it twice and they'll go, okay, stop. Some people answer it three or four times. They're like, are you, do you have a point here? And I feel like that's what my dog does. Like my radish. What is is wrong with you? Really? What is wrong? Why? Why stop it? Like I got it. It's four. And then it's like, wait, do you want something else? Five? So then it's, let's experiment with something else because clearly I didn't do it right yeah. the first five times. Right. Right. And then that's when it gets really messy. Right. But I'm going to go back to my soda because I'm not done. We got to set up boundaries. <laughs> <laughs> yes. So here's what I'm thinking. You know, they say, do they say dogs are like two-year-olds? Is that what they've said now? Two About to five. Like, two depending to five. on the breed. Okay. So have, you guys have seen the marshmallow study, yeah? With the little, the, the kids. Oh, yes. It, marshmallows. They give them marshmallows yes, and yes, they're yes, like, yes, yes, yeah, yes, yes. The, the, the delayed reinforcement. Yes. Yes. It's the best, right? So if these are little kids and so that's kind of where our dogs are. And so like the one little kid licks the marshmallow. Right. Let, let, let's talk about that in case people haven't heard about the yeah. marshmallows. So the they, they come in and they give the kids a little plate with a marshmallow on it. And they say, we're going to leave the room. When I come back, if the marshmallow is still there, you get another one. But if you eat it, that's all you get. And the kids are like, okay. And the one little girl's my favorite. She goes, okay. And she eats the marshmallow. The lady's still like, she barely sets it on the table. <laughs> She's like, yum, yum. <laughs> you know, and then some of the kids sit there and they, they turn away from it. Like avoidance. We see that in our dogs. Um, some of it will sniff it and they'll pick it up and they'll lick it and they'll put it back down. The one little boy was adorable. He like eats the bottom, like the bottom inside out of it and sets it back down. So it looks like it hasn't been touched. (laughs) (laughs) I'm like, yeah, I know that dog too. (laughs) It's so funny when I watch kids, I think dogs, I don't know. I'm a little messy there, but if that little kid can't give this up, how am I going to expect my dog to give up chasing a bunny or a deer? And so those are all instant dopamine dumps. When that kid licks that marshmallow or eats that marshmallow, dopamine dump. When they see the deer and they chase it, dopamine dump. Like those are the things. So like, how can we do that? And that's where motivation comes from. And that's where I love like Simone Mueller's predation substitute training. She teaches ways to be able to say, okay, we can do something else to replace that dopamine dump of chasing a deer only with my trainer, with my handler. And so that's where you can't change what's going on around you. You have to change what's going on inside of you. And I think that's what we have to do for our dogs and for ourselves. So we can't change all of our environments all the time. But for motivation, I feel like we have to teach them these substitute behaviors because like in the sport that I do with IGP, it is not natural for a dog to put their nose in every single footprint that somebody walks. Not natural. (laughs) Right. So these are things that I have to teach my dog. And now I have to figure out a way to motivate them to want to do this unnatural way of sniffing, the one thing that they're so much better at than we are, and now we're controlling how they have to sniff. Oh, come on. (laughs) Sorry, IGP lovers. (laughs) So that just, your whole comment of that got me thinking. Uh Uh-oh. I know. On 
self-control is hard. <laughs> well, it's you're talking about how do you basically teach a dog that a certain cue means a dopamine dump is coming, mm-hmm. right? Which yeah. ideally is what you're doing when you're teaching a recall because you need your dog to recall off of like a, you know, fuzzy deer or bunny. Right. right? And so how important it then becomes, especially in the early stages of teaching a recall to a have really, really awesome stuff. (laughs) <laughs> I almost said something else. Awesome stuff. And be consistent. There's and consistent be consistent because that's yeah. what builds the anticipation of the dopamine dump. Yeah. yeah. And then to not allow them to make the mistake of getting the bunny. Yeah. It's kind of like when we're we're working with distractions, right? So right. let's say you're let's say you're searching in your barn and there's a baked potato, right? Right. That's weird. (laughs) (laughs) So anybody listening to this and you're going, what the heck? Go back and listen to our other episodes. The D episode. First one to find it, but not kidding. (laughs) (laughs) You'll find out. So anyway, so let's say, and go back. I'll I'll just give you a hint. It starts with the letter D. (laughs) Okay. Anyway. So let's say you're searching your barn and and your dog really loves baked potatoes and and you find a baked potato and your dog eats the baked potato. Now you're going to have a problem next time they encounter a baked potato in the barn. Yes. Weird. Yeah, okay. But not, not that they normally, but you, you know what I'm saying? Or w- without being ridiculous and silly, it's kind of when we're working um, distractions, you know, and, and we're maybe we're using containers or whatever, and we put something really good in the container and the dog opens it and eats it. Your dog is never, really, you're going to have a really hard time getting that dog to be reliable and ignoring those distractions when you're working containers. It's just right. Yeah. So yes, you've, you've got to set them up for success. And if they fail at something and they fail to the point where they get that dopamine drop. Oh boy. Right, you're in trouble. Yeah. I mean, it, ta- it takes a lot to undo that. Takes a lot to undo that. Um, I think of little Miss Ember, um, who hunts her little heart out in our conservation land. Yep. Because once she happened to catch a pheasant hen, a live pheasant hen on a nest. Oh, fun. Oh boy. <laughs> She's a hunting little fool. Yeah. So powder searching one day. I'm searching with her in a barn. Wasn't a baked potato, but she dove under a wood chipper, comes out with a mouse in her mouth. <gasps> Oof. Little, little fat butt sticking out the back end with the tail and the little moving little feet. Slurps. And hear me, I'm freaking out like, drop it, drop it, right? And she goes, Hoop. right? <laughs> back to Totally work. reinforced herself on that mouse. So now I'm going to, and so that was fun for her, right? Because then she's like, oh, and by the way, here's a hide. <laughs> <laughs> so when you start thinking about the challenges that you have, and a lot of times th- these are completely unintentional, you know? Right. And, and you know, they are dogs. They are dogs. They are dogs. And she has a high prey drive. Right. So little furry objects are awesome. <laughs> yeah. So, Yeah. <laughs> Oh, well, and we think about some of these things that are pleasing for our dogs, right? And I know, Crystal, we spent a lot of time last year even dissecting Dash. And Dash gets really doggy. And I have to harness, and Crystal gave me the appropriate way to do this, to actually be able to put go sniff on a cue. Yeah. So I can use it as a reinforcer and I can reinforce him for going to go sniff, which sounds really weird. And I'm the first time, Crystal, you might have to explain it. If you remember the first time you explained this to me, I'm looking at you like, <laughs> what planet are you from? Because wow, 
Never thought about it that way. I always love how open you are though. No, that was Hannah Brannigan. That was her, okay. her drinking from the toilet episode. And that was a game changer for Yukon because he wanted to sniff. And that's how he ended up in search and rescue because he just wanted to sniff everything. And just that one little thing, it was an episode that we'll link it in the show notes too, but there were like five or six little tips that she gave her like myths of training. And one of them was uh, to tell your dog to go sniff and then reward them for sniffing. And I thought, wait a minute, no, it's that easy. (laughs) And that's all it took was, okay, the thing that they want to do, put it on cue. So when he was high in his obedience and was really into what we were doing, and I knew that he wasn't wanting to check out at that moment, I would then say, go sniff, because then that became a big reinforcer for him. And otherwise, what was happening was he would go sniff before I wanted him to. And so it was me fighting my environment. So instead, let's get two or three really awesome behaviors. He's really into what we're doing. And then I say, go sniff. And he's like, oh, but okay, I'll go sniff because I like doing that. And then he didn't have that desire to go sniff as much because it was something that I was allowing him to do, which also goes back into all that predation substitute training stuff. You are harnessing the things they already really want to do. So for our hunting dogs, you know, that's they want to hunt, they want to chase. And I think that's the big part of motivation is you have to know um, and be okay with who your dog is and build on what they like to do and on what they know. And so um, it's not about my dog likes fur balls. It's my dog likes to chase that thing. My dog yeah. likes to strike that thing. Uh, my dog likes to sniff. So what is the behavior activity that your dog loves to do? And then find that reward system or reward style that you can do that can then match that. And I do work with a lot of people that physically can't do certain things that maybe their dog would love to do. And so that's where I think we have to be super creative. And with that, I also go into saying, I value so much that we have like an open, fun, creative space for training because I need to have room to have a chance to fail. And I need my dogs to have that space and that chance to fail. So it has to be a safe space for both of us. Um, And that's where the motivation and the just this desire to want to do the thing because there's always this chance of getting something even bigger, even better. So to me, failure is a huge part of our motivation sequence is that we're both going to fail, but there aren't consequences that are these giant demotivating, you know, kill your seeking system consequences. That's where the motivation stays fun for both of us. Here's what I'm thinking, right? <laughs> like, <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> Okay. You know, it feels like a brain freeze when that kind of like, oh my gosh, there's something in there. Like I have, I have an idea. I just kind of rant. So (laughs) no, 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 no. So you you sparked an idea of something I can do that I'm really excited about. So I have this Brava's a cow. Okay. We, we all have dogs (laughs) that are a cow. They they like to just, they they like, they see grass. They're like, oh, I must eat grass. And it becomes um, problematic when I'm trying to search and there's like, you know, fresh dew moistened long. Oh, spring grass. grass. Are you talking Um, about spring grass? I mean, uh that's crack. Yeah. (laughs) I have that on cue. Don't think I don't. That's absolutely on cue. Go eat the grass. (laughs) I have to do that. Oh, absolutely. It is. Especially spring grass. I can't fight that. I use it. (laughs) So you're blowing my mind right now. Well, uh, <laughs> I, I have dash on cue for marking. Yeah. I mean, right? I've heard of that one. And, and it just, I just haven't put two and two together because, you know. Right. I use that as part of his reinforcement sequence yeah. after we do a search, which I'm sure somebody somewhere is going to be like, you do what? Oh, we call it victory P. Well, that, that, totally, I, that totally makes sense. You know, you, Yeah. You, I call it victory you, P. Yeah. And, cool. and so. Always. <laughs> no, for real. Victory yeah, P for sure. Victory P. UConn too. And we, we call it in nose work, P search P. You pee, then you search, and then you pee. pee oh, no. Pee. This is after. Yes, P. <laughs> a victory P. So this is after we have done mm-hmm. our search where, yeah. you know, he's got his reinforcer or I have told him we're done. And I will take him to a specific area, which is hopefully typically out of sight from somebody who really wants to like judge us. And I will be look at him and go, victory P. And he'll be like, oh, I can go be. And yeah, and he thinks it's awesome. I mean, you know what? I give him a cookie for it. 
Yeah. Here you go, buddy. So my friend has a potty song. This really, wow, I can't believe I'm going to share this. And so, <laughs> so <laughs> oh, I, can st- can I can still it's stop, just right? It's the three of us and all of us. <laughs> yes. Well, and we won't name names. I pretend like there's nobody here, so it's all good. <laughs> just us chatting in my little closet. Um <laughs> So the song that she would sing, well, I finally have a little girl dog, little radish. So after her little search, I go, potty, potty, poop, poop, pee, 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 little girl, little girl, wee, wee, wee. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I, I, I have a poop song too. It's boop, 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 boop. And then they actually do it. And then they know it, right? So that's really hilarious. Oh my God. tell them to hurry up. And this is beforehand. We just do hurry up. But anyway. She just ran over to me and put her head in my lap. I'm like, oh, you, you have a whole like verse. <laughs> no, I'm not singing that again. You no, can please. Mother Day. No, she's then radish might go to the bathroom in the house. We don't want that. <laughs> I have a radish like sitting here in my lap already looking at me like, are we really doing that? <laughs> can I? No, I'm not encouraging that in my, I'm in a bedroom closet right now. <laughs> so so I, I really think I'm going to. I'm going to start doing this with it with a grass. Right. Oh, spring grass. That is, you know how delicious that is. We have nomnivores. They love it so much. And so if you deny them from it, they're just going to want it more. And so you have to put that on cue to say, go eat that grass. And I go over and I rough it up and play with it. And they're like, yes, this is so good. And then I mark them for eating it. And so now we're back to playing and they like playing more than they like the grass. And now we're engaged and we're ready to go. You're still going to have a problem though, if they don't like playing more than the grass. Well, that's where you have to know your dog and know what they like. And so I know that my four all like playing more than they like that grass. But then I also know because it's so hot, like all of a sudden through most of the Midwest, whoa, uh, (laughs) that they want to go roll in the grass to cool off. And so I know to keep my session super short. I do something easy, something hard, something easy. And then I say, go get that grass. And they go and they roll in it. And so they know they're going to get it again. And so because they know it's still going to be a reinforcer. Um, then they're not like, I have to leave you to go get that thing. Well, and one of the really interesting things has been with, because when we were talking about this last summer with Dash and Crystal showed me what she was doing with Yukon, where she'd send him out, she'd say, go sniff and he'd go sniff. And then she'd say something and he would like immediately check in. Right. And be like, okay, I'm ready to go. And she, she showed me, here's me totally like reiterating what Crystal taught me last summer. Right was this use a throwaway behavior. And so, and and then I'm looking at her and being like, well, he's not paying attention to me. What am I supposed to do? She's like, just wait. And the amount of time when I would tell him to go sniff, and I will still do this when we get out somewhere kind of interesting, I'll be like, okay, go sniff. And he'll go sniff. And then at some point he turns and he looks at me and I'm like, are you ready to go? And I hold out my hand for a nose touch palm to my hand. And nine times out of 10 right now, I can get that on the first try. He's like, okay, yep. He'll come over. He'll sit down and he'll be like, let's go to work. Okay, buddy, rock on. When I first started doing that, I may have to stand there patiently for like the longest 30 seconds ever. (laughs) (laughs) but it's it's totally the whole cycle has gotten much quicker and it's just amazing to me that that's how that works and that's that kind of push button behavior that's you got to know that their brain is with you and i can't push my dog to want to start working if he's not ready and i know that we're not connected so if i send him i know that well, I know it's not going to be good. <laughs> right. I know I'm going to have to restart him. I know we're going to have to do this again. And so that's, yeah. And yes, I think behavior change really is a skill to learn because that's what we're asking them to do. We're asking them to change what they're currently doing. So they're always behaving. It's just, they're not always behaving the way we want. So we have to learn how to change that behavior to, to what we desire. And some of that is even changing. It's changing their mindset, right? Yeah but it's also changing our mindset on the fact that we always talk about ask the animal what's reinforcing. And so if sniffing is reinforcing for the animal, maybe we should let them do that. And to build on that, 
changing our own mindset instead of thinking, you know, or getting frustrated with a dog, think about, you know, maybe you've reinforced what you don't like. And if you're having issues, it's a good likelihood you've reinforced the wrong thing. And really kind of think about your behavior chain and pay attention to what exactly you're reinforcing and how well you're doing it. Nope. Correct. Wow. There's a lot here to unpack, ladies. Yeah. Yeah. I think we're going to have to do this in another episode. I think you're right. Yeah. I'm I'm sitting here thinking about also how we misplace our attention in motivation. And I think I want to talk about that next time. Okay. That's, that's next I guess that's a, that's a teaser, I think, because... I don't think that our dogs a lot of times will say, I don't want to do this. And so I think that's where we think it's motivation issue. And in fact, I think it's something else. So I think that can be another topic. What do you think? I think, I think that should be another topic Maybe for next time. Cause especially slicing down behaviors and I have all these things that are like popping in my brain. So I'm just going to jot this down so we can kind of riff on this next time. Excellent. Uh, Takeaways points. What do you want to share? Okay. I'll go first then. I will. Okay, good. <laughs> um, instead of, I'm going to, I'm going to do something new here. Uh, a lot of times what I do when I'm trying to find something, I think of the opposite. So if I'm thinking about how I want to motivate my dog, I'm going to actually ask myself, what is the opposite of motivation? So I would ask myself, if you want to make it harder or less likely to happen, what would you do? And so if I can answer that, then that means I have the answer to how I can help motivate my dog. Whoa. I had another brain freeze on that one. (laughs) That might be a whole nother. I'll be honest. (laughs) Okay. So if you want to make it, let's just, I'm just reversing motivation. So if you want to make it harder or less likely to happen, what would you do? Okay. So what was your, your search today, Stacey? Oh, my search today. Oh, I was just doing the sourcing stuff in the, yeah. Okay. So in that sourcing, what would you do to make it harder or less likely to happen? Okay. Okay. To make it harder, I would put two hides. Okay. Okay. And what else would you do to make it less likely to happen? What would cause your dog to Well, fail? that would definitely make it less likely to happen if I put two hides. It'd be a lot harder to source both. So easy thing right there. That's how you could demotivate. So right. to answer your question, you'd flip it and go, okay, if I made two hides, that'd be harder. It'd probably not happen. So what if I only do one? Then I can probably be right. successful. So what was your last thing you trained, Robin? I was training obedience today. I know, big shocker. Aww. <laughs> what were you doing? Give me one one thing you did. Um, attention. I was trying to get Ducati to actually look at me. <laughs> I mean, that's a long way to look up for that little girl. <laughs> she's 58 pounds, by the way. She's not she's so little. She's bigger than all three of mine. But you're still six foot tall. So (laughs) yeah, but, and so, you know, what I, I very quickly found out is that the carpenter bees and the donkeys are much more interesting than me. Okay. So the next time I train in order to make it more likely that it's not going to happen, it means I, um, continue to have her face the donkeys instead of turning around and having me face the donkeys and face me. Yeah. So even looking at what was right and what was difficult. So then, you know, next time to just change that one thing to make it less difficult. So you can just even reflect on that previous session. Right. So just flipping around, um, potentially going and, you know, taking care of the bee problem would be probably good too for your barn. Or closing, Uh, (laughs) actually closing the garage door so she can't see. And then that locks the bees. Yeah. So you're just identifying those things. And then, you know, now we're on bees or D's, which no. (laughs) (laughs) Well, they're the size of freaking quarters. So that's, that's what I always do is when I start thinking about when I'm training, I always ask myself, what could I do to make it more difficult or harder? And then that usually always gives me the answer I need of what I need to do to be successful. I don't know why, but sometimes I can't think the other way. I can't go, okay, what do I need to be successful this time? Instead, I look around and I go, okay, if I have that distraction, okay, that's going to be hard. And if I did that, ooh, that'd be really hard. I'm really good at making stuff hard. That's a, that's a, that's a really great way to edit. And, and that I think is sometimes when our searches get like way too difficult, it's because we haven't edited ourselves. Yeah. Oh my God. I'm still having a brain freeze. 
Sorry, I didn't mean to leave that as a brain freeze thought. <laughs> okay. No, no. But, that, that I'm like sitting there going, I can't give you a takeaway after that because that, that's like, I'm full. I, I think that's, <laughs> yeah, that's that's an excellent tech because if you constantly are making stuff harder, it's actually demotivating. Right. Absolutely. Right. right. And so if we think about that, okay, if I'm going to make it that hard, that hard, and that hard, what's all the hard stuff? And if I start removing this stuff out so that it's yeah. motivating for the animal... That's huge. Okay. That's our takeaway for today. Yeah. Crystal wins. Oh, <laughs> oh you guys, you're being no, lazy now. No, no, no. <laughs> no. We, we just don't want to take away from your takeaway. Oh, uh, oh yes. you're so kind. You're so kind. <laughs> so I think with that too, I would tell people to go back and listen to the episode on the D's because yes. I think that really will help understand some of the things we talked about today. Absolutely. Um, and then a couple of the silly jokes we just brought in. I think that'd be helpful. Uh, great. Thank you, ladies. And thanks, everybody. Make sure to check out our website and uh, we'll talk to you soon. And we'll have a Facebook post and Instagram for this episode if you want to ask us questions uh, and we will get back to you. Thanks so much. Canine Detection Collaborative. We appreciate the time you spend with us. If you liked this episode, not only should you follow us so you don't miss the next one, but please also rate and review us in your favorite podcast app. For info on collaborating with us, go to K9DetectionCollaborative.com. That's K9DetectionCollaborative.com, where you can find our socials and pick up our latest monthly freebie. Join us again to talk training in the next episode.